Tonight's episode of People I Want to Talk To is sponsored by Nobody. Are you tired of the stress and anxiety of being somebody? If so, get ready to become Nobody. Nobody is an online education platform which teaches adults how to transform from somebody to nobody in a matter of months. Friends, coworkers, and relatives, from grandparents to children, will lose all sight of who you are, as that somebody who you think you are will dissolve into nothing, and for the first time in your life, you will experience true surrender. Say goodbye to sleepless nights brought on by obsessive thoughts centering on the question, who am I? With nobody, you won't even recognize yourself in the mirror. Visit IamNobody.com for more information and to become nobody today. Enter code PEOPLE at checkout for 10% off. All right. Thank you for that, sponsor. And let's start the show. Thank you for tuning in to People I Want to Talk to. I'm your host, Jason Sarna. Tonight, my guest is Lisa Sheritz. Lisa, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Jason. So I met Lisa toward the end of 2018. Earlier that year, I started teaching improvisation at Reno Improv. I was assigned to teach a level two class, um, which was an intro to long form. And a few months into teaching, I started coaching one of the house teams. When I was coaching that team, one of the members suggested that Lisa join the group, which she eventually did. So I've been coaching Lisa in improvisation for a little over a year now. Um, She was also a student in the sketch comedy writing program I created at Rito Improv, which was designed around my time studying sketch writing at the Second City in Chicago. When I found out that Lisa was a writer and had extensive background in writing, I was very interested in learning more. We've talked a little about writing here and there, but never fully delved into things, which is what I intend to do here. So um, that's a little intro. And to kick things off, I was just wondering, Lisa, how long have you been writing for? Oh, my gosh. I've been writing ever since I was a, you know, I don't know, seven, something like that. I started off copying books uh, because I thought it that was what you did. Uh, But then I found out that you actually make this stuff up. Uh, And then... What kind of books were you copying? Just like those golden cardboard All right. books, <laughs> you know, <laughs> with a lot of pictures. Um, and yeah, so that's what I started off with and then uh, started uh, just writing little stories. When you were the around that age too, like seven or just was mm-hmm. it when you were older? Or? Uh, no, I always really liked English and I uh, really liked storytelling um, wow. and storytellers. And I was a great reader. My, my family was great readers. Uh, we always had books around. My mom always used to take us to the library and get lots of books. And uh, so I just uh, began writing then. That's crazy. That's mm-hmm. complete opposite of the way that I grew up with pretty much no books or anything. We had some books. Like It was mostly if I... I've read basically all like R.L. Stein books, um, a lot of little short horror things, but I never really got into writing till later on. But it's interesting to have you do it at that young of an age. Were you into like TV or movies as well, like stories or just all just mostly 
through books or? Oh, no. My, my parents would, like, they always had magazines in the house and they always took us to movies. And um, I remember they took us to Dr. Strangelove um, right. and totally, I, you know, I was not at the age where I got <laughs> any irony or sarcasm or how this was uh, a parody of anything. I, I found it terrifying. Uh, <laughs> uh, but they, they always, uh, you know, uh, wanted us to... Uh, they were very verbal and, and read a lot and exposed us to a lot of things. Mm. So I'm grateful for that. that that's awesome. Uh, what did they do, your parents? Were they like... Oh, my dad was a family doctor All and right. uh, my mom was a housewife. And uh, my dad, uh, he didn't really write that much, but occasionally he would write things. And I know that he... Um, uh, one time he had to go back to New York City for a medical conference and he got a tour of the New Yorker because oh, wow. he really liked the New Yorker. And um, it, it, he always told that story. I always grew up hearing about the New Yorker. And, um, <laughs> so that's that's the kind of folks they were. Did you grow up in Reno then? or I did. I was born and reared here. And that says like, a, was your family of a long, like I feel like people, I'm from Illinois originally, so... It's, I seem I feel like people who I met in Reno sometimes that, that are born here have a long history of being in Reno. Is that the same with yours, or was your parents came there from? They came here to get divorces. Okay. Um, uh, a few years, <laughs> three three years, I think, before I was born. Um, and they uh, their families had been be- best friends, and um, they fell in love um, and got divorces from those families and started a family here. So. All right. And so they have, so my family's not long time to bed. So what do you mean that they came for divorces? They came. Oh, um, it, uh, it's, I'm sure it still is. Was that, it like the law where you couldn't? Oh yeah. Oh, there's really? a, uh, yeah, really Nevada doesn't, in the back in the day, doesn't have a lot to other than gaming and, and, uh, being able to do many things that you can't do in other States yeah. <laughs> um, uh, or you'll go to jail. Um, so they, uh, one of the things that Nevada inv- um, used to create revenue was that it was really easy to get a divorce here. You only needed mm. six weeks All right. residency. Wow. Um, so my folks did that. So they came out there, they moved, where were they moved from to do they that? They moved from California. Oh, from California. Mm-hmm. What part of California was that? Down uh, the Bay Area, okay. Palo Alto. Gotcha. Yeah. So did you like growing up in Reno or? Oh, I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was... I didn't know anything else, so but but I loved. Uh, my parents would go to the clubs and and bring home musicians. My dad really liked jazz, so there was a lot of uh, you know. My brother and I would sneak downstairs and look through the banister and watch these jazz musicians be you know playing at my parents' parties and. They would actually um, bring them home from the club. Yeah, uh, yeah, because <laughs> it was. I mean, Reno was just a little spot in the middle yeah. of nowhere. Wow. Uh, and back in the day, they had these searchlights uh, down at downtown that mm-hmm. would comb the skies all the time. So it looked like, like a big Hollywood. spotlights. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, like a Hollywood premiere or something. And, um, and, and there were a lot of performers that came through town. And my parents were still fairly young and enjoyed going to the clubs and seeing what's what and seeing how they can enjoy that at home. It sounds like it was a sort of intellectual vibe in your house with the, the fact of, you know, the New Yorker 
growing up with the books and bringing their kids to strange love and taking jazz music, all these different musicians and bringing them home and having, I mean, that sounds like a complete opposite way that I grew up. It's kind of like a very fun, I don't know. Did you enjoy it or? Well, it was, uh, I, it was, uh, yes, I, I didn't know much else. Mm -hmm. So it was very lively and, uh, very, uh, my parents both were full of life and, very vital and um, add alcohol into the mix and, uh-huh. and then you have, you know, combustion and yeah. um, uh, the, it was, uh, it was very, you know, I'm glad I grew up when I did, where I did um, and how I did. So, yeah. And how do you think, um, I know Reno's gone through a lot of changes throughout the years and I mean, I just came here in 2017, so are you still liking it or is it just completely different is it still recognizable from what you remember uh well uh no it's not recognizable Mm -hmm. (laughs) too much uh because it was just uh the big change came with the squaw olympics uh in 1960 where they put in highway 80 all right um and uh then there began to be more uh people coming to reno Mm -hmm. uh but it's it's changed a great deal and and you know changes the mainstay of life. Um, you know, I'm not complaining about, it's still a gorgeous place to live. Um, I love the fact that you can, you know, play tennis or golf and then go up and ski. And, Mm -hmm. um, there's just so much to do here. You can go on hikes. Just, it's great place. I'm, I'm glad I came back. How many people would you say were around then when you were growing up? Like in the town. Well, I know that my folks always used to say there's more cattle than people in the state. And for a while that was true. So I, I think there's probably, I, you know, I'm not really sure. Um, right. I didn't, wasn't really paying attention. I'd have to look back and see. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So then let's go back into the writing. So then what about, say, like junior high, high school? So you just really liked English and... Yes, and my mom uh, continued to be a great reader, as mm-hmm. as did my father, and uh, my brother was a great reader, and and they were just always saying you should read this, mm-hmm. um, you know, oh this is a great book, you should read this, or yeah. or this is a person you need to know about, All right. uh, read this biography. <laughs> Uh, so I, I appreciate that about them. Yeah, I feel like those are. I have a teacher from Second City, Nancy, who she'd always be pretty much the same thing. Read this. You have to read this. Did you read this? And then I would either I'd like write it down, or she would just give me the book. Nice. Um, but I didn't have that. It'd be different having that growing up. Is like my parents mainly just worked. Um, my mom read like Country Living, I think, or Country Home, some kind of oh, uh-huh. like home decor magazine with country styles i guess Uh like rocking chairs and (laughs) used to go antiquing with her Uh, but my dad would just work and then you know have a few beers and go to sleep but (laughs) so did you know well did you know you were going to be a writer or did you know not at all so it's a lot different from yours so that's why it's interesting just as every writer has such a different path into becoming it like it was for me it was a whole different entry into the thing it wasn't until probably when i was like 18 where i became even remotely interested in it it was mostly a huge drag to do it Ah. in in a very i don't know just the books i read in school i really wasn't interested in and just had no one really giving me anything like you had it sounds like with your with your family like things that 
were probably of interest to you. I would like, did you enjoy what you were reading or what kind of, what were some of the books that they were giving you? Oh, um, like a tree grows in Brooklyn, that book. Um, what are some other ones? Um, I, my dad went through a big uh, Nabokov phase. All right. Um, so you're which reading I that was, at that like young age? And, well, I, I would look into it and I'd just be like, I don't get this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see what the fascination was. Um, and my mom was fascinated with Winston Churchill. And I mean, they would, they would oh. do a whole bunch of, um, they would go through phases of, you know, being obsessed with things and mm-hmm. really dive deeply into them. Um, so I sort of, it just wore off. Yeah. Uh, and did you then decide, like, did you know what you wanted to do in life? Did you, like, as far as that whole thing goes, like when you're a kid, like you want to become this or become that, did you want to become a writer, English teacher or anything? Like, what was your idea of? I wanted to be rich and famous. Okay. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great thing for writing. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and, but, uh, that, so I, I, my brother, Tommy, uh, he, he wanted to be rich and famous too. And, um, and so that was, that was about, about the extent of my plan. I just, All you know, right. and, and the, uh, my, you know, loving music the way my dad did, we would also have, uh, like Broadway show albums, mm-hmm. like West Side Story and, right. um, and I would listen to those, The King and I, um, yeah. and I'd never saw the show, but I would just listen to the m- music, which was uh, poetry. The wow. lyrics are poetry, and um, so so I just knew that I wanted to do something big, yeah, um, and that I really liked words and stories. And it's crazy you had like a graduate level um, education growing up in your house. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the, I, I was very, very lucky to have articulate parents who mm-hmm. who wanted us to to learn. Yeah, very, very lucky. And also, I think just the idea of them, I don't know. I think it's like parents treating their kids like almost extensions of their own, you know, social group. Almost, uh-huh. it's like giving Novikov or Churchill. It's like, hey, check this out. It's like. Whereas the typical parent, it's like, I don't know, what do you, you know, you go to the section that's from like seven to 10 year olds and you pick out those books and it's like, it's really, I don't know, they put, they had you, it seemed like on their level and they weren't like going to change that, which I think is kind of a good way to be. Yeah. I haven't really thought of that, but yeah, Mm -hmm. it's true. They didn't, um, you know, they, they, whatever we wanted to explore, we could explore. Which was great. So then, so you had this idea of rich and famous, and you're in high school, and then you're preparing to go to college. Like, did it change at all? Did you have more of a better, like a different vision, or was it still the same? Because, like, when I think of rich and famous, I'm like, all right, well, then most people probably are like, all right, Hollywood, I got to go to California and pursue my dreams of fame out there. Well, I've. I did want to go to Hollywood, um, right. <laughs> and my parents uh, were were strongly dissuading me. Yeah, um, uh, they uh, um, through I can't remember how they managed to do this, but uh, they had a friend back in New York, um, Howard Maltz, who was an attorney back in New York, and his brother was Albert Maltz of the Hollywood Ten. 
Um, and what was the Hollywood 10? The Hollywood 10 were writers who refused to t- uh, testify uh, for the House on American Activities Committee. All right. And so they were blacklisted. Okay. And there were some of the um, very talented writers and directors and, and, and actors in, in Hollywood. Hmm. And Albert Maltz was a screenwriter. All right. Uh, so uh, that I heard because of their connection with Howard Maltz, I heard about that, um, Hollywood 10, Hollywood 10 again and again. Um, so it was a little bit, Hollywood was a little bit terrifying, um, on that level. Mm -hmm. And once I really began to get serious about it, they, um, said you should talk, um, First of all, they said, you should talk to the psychiatrist um, <laughs> who, uh, I can't remember how the psychiatrist, he was in San Francisco, um, he had a connection, his wife published novels, um, but he had a connection somehow to Hollywood. Um, oh, I know, because uh, I think some of his patients were Hollywood people. All right. Um, <laughs> And he, uh, so I, so he gave me an interview and, and, uh, said, uh, you know, it's really not a nice place to work. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, people can do great things, but, um, you know, really get an education. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, so, uh, and what did you want to do like in Hollywood? Like, did you want to write? Did you want to act? Did you want to, I, w- I wanted to do it, just all. do it all. Yeah. Just, which yeah. I had no, you know, I wasn't in little theater or mm-hmm. anything like that. I, uh, I was very shy, withdrawn or introverted, all right. um, <laughs> you know, couldn't be less likely to, uh, put myself forward in Hollywood. Um, <laughs> so, um, so that sort of dissuaded me, but I knew I wanted to get out of Reno because Reno right. was really a little town. Mm. Then I remember my parents used to take me to, on my birthday, to the Harris Coffee Shop, which was up on the second floor at Second Street in Virginia. All right. Um, and, uh, it, it felt like what I imagined New York would be like. Right. And so we'd get a window table and I'd pretend like I was in New York. In New York. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so it, I, that was my big thing is to just get out of Reno. And um, did you want to go to a big city or did you? Yeah, I wanted to just see the world and, you know, be part of it and So then uh, where did create. you end up going? Uh, so, so I got good grades in school mm-hmm. um, uh, and I ended up at Stanford. Oh, wow. nice. um, and my dad had gone to Stanford and so he, he was very happy and, uh, and I was happy and mm-hmm. it was, uh, I'm grateful that I got to go there. So what did you, and you went there for English, right? Yes. I went there for English. And what were you mainly, so it was just studying like literature mostly and like writing academic papers or what kind of English degree was that? It was. Uh, it wasn't a creative writing degree. Uh, All right. I did take creative writing classes that were counted toward an English degree. All right. Um, but it was mainly English literature, and right. I also Stanford at that time didn't do double majors. All um, right. I also got the uh, did a film communications. I qualified for a film communications major as well um, on graduating, but I I went with English. And what were you thinking then, as far as like? Did you, were you enjoying it? Did you like, as far as like being out of Reno, being in this different area, were you like, how was all that? Well, once again, now that you <laughs> asked me that question, um, I remember thinking, I got to get out of here. I got to get out to the real world. Um, and, uh, so I was, I, I worked through school and, and, uh, 
uh, was always thinking there's a, there's a, um, something is out there in the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so even though I, uh, I love the, the, the people I was working with in the writing program and my English professors were amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, I, and the film, I, uh, Institute, the summer film Institute was, was great. Uh, I knew that I wanted to be like someplace else, whether it was Hollywood or New York or something like that. I always was, so you Aspiring. think it was still like not big enough for you or just wasn't? I think it was a character defect of not right. wanting to be where I was. Um, that, uh, yeah. And where were you, um, where were you working at during that time? I was working at the Tiki Motel. Okay. Just like now a, known as the Stanford Inn. Okay. <laughs> just doing like reception stuff? Oh, or? it was the best job to have uh-huh. for college because I was the night auditor. All right. Um, uh, like, I think it was three nights a week. It was it was two nights, and then a, a weekend night, a weekend day, um, and I would check people in. Mm-hmm. And basically, that hotel uh, it's right on off of the Stanford campus. Uh, it's uh, uh, a lot of NASA uh, Ames scientists would stay right. there week after week after week. They'd go home on the weekends and then come back. So we had a really steady clientele of very mm-hmm. quiet All right. um, uh, people. It wasn't and, like the standard, like a Reno motel no. out like Fourth Street or something. <laughs> no, it was uh, it was very stable and quiet. All right. Uh, so I could study, and it was they had a very nice lobby, I had a fireplace um, in it, and I great place to study. Oh, yeah. Um, and so I um, that's where I worked. So it was a great job to have during college because I could study. Yeah. That's, did you work growing up as far as like in high school and stuff like that? I mean, I worked at the YWCA, you know, um, right. uh, what was it? The snack bar and babysat and, yeah. um, were your parents was, into like, you have to work and want you to work now or, um, a little bit, but oh. not, they, it was mainly, they wanted us to get an education. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think again, I was the opposite. It's yeah. like working at 15, steamers, hot dogs, and then big lots at 16, and then working with my dad over the summers. And it's had at least maybe at least five jobs probably by the time I was in college or whatever. Yeah. It's been a lot. But so, um, so you're, you finished the degree and then you eventually became a Stegner fellow there. Was that directly after you graduated as undergrad or how did that come about? Yes, it was directly after my undergraduate. Um, and back then, uh, they had a fellowship. Edith Mirrelees uh, was a longtime Stanford professor who uh, was an expert on the short story and, and had an endowed fellowship. And And uh, I applied to that uh, right. because I really didn't know what to do after college. Uh, and how did you decide to pursue even that were so did were you taking the creative classes when you were an undergrad and were you like wow i really kind of like this sort of thing yes uh, i was taking i was doing well in creative writing um and uh fiction writing and and the uh stegner fellow stegner fellows um who were teaching those classes were like you should really push on this Uh, you're good at this you know let's there's this here, uh, think about, you know, applying and, and I was fortunate and got in. And what kind of stories were you writing at that time? Oh man. Um, 
You know, I was writing stories about, there was one about a, a guy, Fernando Hernandez, who, uh, it was about him drowning, drowning. Mm -hmm. um, and what was going through his mind is he was drowning. And then there was another one um, that was uh, written as a letter, uh, and it was, you know, stuff that I had no experience um, mm -hmm. in. Uh, it was about a, a triangle. Um, this woman was involved in a triangle where one of the brothers committed suicide, and the other brother, they, she was lovers with both of them, and, um, <laughs> so you know, so... <laughs> Undergraduate fiction. So how did you, how were you even putting that together at that age? Were you thinking it was just from reading all that stuff and being exposed to that as a kid and figuring out, like, like I, my idea, like, I don't think I could ever have written anything like that at that age. So it's like, it had to be something or. Well, I think my parents' openness uh, mm. about life and um, about the people in their lives and yeah. also uh, just my family. Uh, you know, there were a lot of people in my family and very tumultuous times in my family. And mm -hmm. so, uh, and I also think, you know, after teaching fiction to people, uh, uh, especially stu young students, you know, fourth graders, sixth graders, um, I, I think, I think there's, there's a tendency to skew towards melodrama. Yeah. Um, uh, and so I think it's a, could be a combination of those things. All right. Yeah. So then, the, so then they were teaching the student or the people who were in the Stegner Fellow. They were teaching the undergraduate creative writing classes. They were saying, "Hey, you know, you got something here. You should pursue this." And then you applied, and then you you got in. Yes. And I did some research. Oh yeah. And that was in uh, <laughs> it's in 1978 yep. to 79, which is, I mean, the first thing I thought about when I thought that was I was like. Just the uh, how long you've been writing for, because um, I've been doing it for now. I mean, I guess consistently for about fifteen years, and it's like that you were doing that before I was even born. Yeah, and it's like <laughs> it's like yeah. that's a long time. Well, and it, and I've I've that I have not been writing continuously. I mean, oh, I, there I was see. times that I was blocked. Right. There was times that I was involved in life. Mm. Um, there were times that I was depressed. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, you know, I haven't been like uh, racking up the pages every right. day. Yeah. So, but it's yeah, still, it's, a it's while. still impressive though. And it's, I think, um, like, how do you, like, I have my ideas of it all. Like, how do you feel about having something, I guess, like that attached to you? Like, do you feel like it's like a, because I feel like it's a big part of probably who you are as a person. If you like any writer like that pursues it for that long and is constantly coming back to it again and again and again throughout the years. It's like, do you feel some sort of connection or bond or I mean, like what, how do you envision writing? I guess. Well, I, for me, uh, having known that that's what I want to do and mm -hmm. having that be the, the place that feels like home and that, that, um, you know, is the deepest, uh, experience, um, I can have, um, th that, you know, creative with creation, mm -hmm. um, that 
I, I think, um, you know, finding a way toward what feels like home um, mm. is, is part of growing up. Um, growing older. Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, that's kind of what I, when I think about it, it, even when I wasn't writing, I always felt like a writer. Mm -hmm. um, In what way specifically? Uh, I think uh, being able to notice things about people, being able to um, articulate, use language mm -hmm. uh, in different ways, um, uh, seeing the, the trends in life, yeah. uh, seeing how things, oh my gosh, that's the way that worked out. Wow. Uh -huh. oh. <laughs> that's a good plot point. Um, uh, seeing things like that, hmm. um, that, uh, I think that's, that's what I think of when I think of being a writer. And do you think of it as a, um, like a steady relationship or do you feel like it has a lot, like, like I feel like it's just a lot of ebbs and flows, like just from doing it for as long as I've been doing it, it's like sometimes you love it. I mean, and I think that's cons a lot of writers say it. They love it. They hate it. Um, they wish that it, it feels like a curse sometimes. Or for me, um, like, do you have those feelings as well towards it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And especially after going, um, you know, uh, the, the uh, oh you know, studying at Stanford and then also at the University of Iowa Writers Workshop, um, you know, there's a lot of expectation. Mm, um, yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of grooming that this is how, uh, this is the next step to a writer's, uh, in a writer's career. Yeah. Um, you know, this is how you compete as a writer. Mm -hmm. um, all that uh, uh, added to uh, just the desire. This is what makes me happy. Yeah. I like doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, how can I commoditize this? Yeah. Um, if, if it's even, should I even do that? Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, um, I also know that I was pretty prideful then, uh, you know, like nobody can teach me. Yeah. Uh, I think writing. that's every writer <laughs> at, at a certain point. <laughs> I don't need no stinking degree. Uh, yeah. you know. Uh -huh. um, yeah, definitely. Uh, I once I applied to USC and they didn't accept me and I was like, how dare you not accept me? And <laughs> and then they're like, We can't give you any feedback to why they denied you. And I'm like, That's crazy. That's and I like I it was so embarrassing, like looking back at it now. It's like I was twenty two. It's like I didn't even understand the concept of um wait lists or competitive um, schools. I went to like a local Western Illinois university, got in no problem. I, th I figured that th that's how the whole world worked, uh -huh. but that was a pretty big lesson as far as not when you try to get into, um, the, one of the biggest film programs in the country, probably at USC is mm -hmm. what I was trying to get into at the time. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I think that, that, um, what I learned over the years mm -hmm. is that there's a very fine line between being a crackpot and being a writer. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, how, how to navigate that, mm -hmm. uh, is, is, uh, because you're, uh, I, I know that I've continually come up against walls of, you know, the walls that break down my denial. Um, yeah. Um, like maybe I'm not doing so well, maybe I'm not doing this so, mm -hmm. so great. And I need to think about something else. Um, and also I think finding your, for me, finding my own voice, um, and trusting that voice, mm -hmm. uh, took a long time. 
All right. Uh, uh, there's a, a great quote from Cheryl Strayed uh, when she was writing as Dear Sugar. Um, uh, someone wrote in about, you know, oh, I'm a tortured artist. I've, mm-hmm. I don't know whether I should do this or, <laughs> you know, become a real estate agent. Yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> something to that effect. And, and she said, uh, you know, no one is ever going to give you permission to write about your vagina. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like. <laughs> If you want to write about something, you just got to write about it. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're fascinated with puppies who are astronauts in space and that's where the energy is, go toward that. Mm, that's great um, And And now it was a long time for me to understand that. Mm. Um, you Even know, when you were writing the fiction and it's so back, shoot back to Stegner Fellow, you were still, I feel like a lot of writers say they do that. Like George Saunders specifically, I watch like every YouTube that he has on YouTube or every video he has on YouTube. And, uh, he, he always says like in, um, when he was at Syracuse, he was writing this big passionate, um, like wedding novel that took place in like Mexico. And it was called like, um, it's like translated to like Ed's wedding. It was, it was basically this big, like Hemingway esque thing. And he said his wife started reading it and like a page or two in, she just like, Oh, just like hands, hands oh. on their head. Just like, what have you done? And he thought it was like all that. And he, he wasted, he spent all his time trying to do that, like become something he was not. And then once mm-hmm. he started becoming, um, he started doing little doodles and, um, making little funny things. And I think his wife saw that and, um, like kind of little comics almost it sounded like. And that's when his, he started like really taking off. But anyway, long story, I, I mean, to go back around that, like I was feeling like for me myself, I was like, I feel like I'm like, yeah, I always had my voice, but nobody was interested in hearing it. <laughs> That's basically where I was getting going with that. Uh-huh. But, but it's in, but I feel like most writers go through that phase and I don't know if it's a phase of like even Hunter S Thompson, he's one of my, you know, favorite writers and, um, a lot of the people were just emulating Hemingway to an extent. Like he went, he wrote the rum diary as his first novel. And he mm-hmm. was down in like, um, San Juan, Puerto Rico, wherever he was. Um, uh, I don't know if that's exact, but whatever. I'm not, a, I'm not good with facts, uh-huh. <laughs> but so yeah, he was out there like drinking cocktails and working as like a journalist. And like, that's in like, I don't know, but the long story short, it seems like a lot of writers start that way. And, um, it's interesting to me how, and it seems like the mo- they're very talented, like the people who start that way. Like the talent happens. I don't know if it's the emulation which allows them to get, I mean, to, to emulate that and then eventually shift it into your own point of view or your own voice. Well, I, th- I think that um, for me, the, the big thing about talent is uh, over the years, I've realized that it's not talent. There is, there are so many talented people out there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the management of talent. Yeah. And for myself, being able to manage my talent and not um, uh, decompensate because I have to work as a bartender. Mm-hmm. You know, like oh, every shift is the agony. Yeah. Of <laughs> you know, oh, I can't believe I'm forced to pour this drink. <laughs> Um, you know, rather than, and George Saunders has a great 
take on this mm-hmm. of of using that time as structure yeah. and using that time to feed the monkey. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, nothing is wasted. Yeah. Um, and it took me a long time to get out of that struggle of right. I'm because once again, I'm not where I'm supposed to be mm-hmm. in my mind. Yeah, um, yeah. and then, so that wastes a lot of time and energy for me. Yeah. That, uh, yeah. The same I've wasted a lot of time and energy on that. <laughs> it's easy to do for sure. Um, so then let's go back to the Stegner fellow to talk about that. So you, so you got in that right after you were like 22. So if you're 23, yeah, about nah, 21, 22, 21, 22. Yeah. I was and, born in 56. So I was, tw- yeah, I was 22. So then what was your, cause that's a class that's, or it's not, it's a fellowship that's open to pretty much anybody could apply to it. I've applied to it three times and they will not accept me. Um, <laughs> my teacher, Daniel, I told him that, uh, Daniel Orozco in Idaho and he's like, uh, He's, he's like, oh, I applied five times. I was like, damn. I was like, I didn't know that. It's like, that'd be a good thing to tell students uh-huh. because, I don't know, because you, you look at these teachers and you're like, oh, they just have this, you have kind of a whole illusion based, you know, based on where they're at now, but you don't know their story of how they got to where they are. Uh-huh. But, um, but that fellowship, though, it's open to pretty much anybody. Like, I don't think you need a, a degree to apply to it. And you could pretty much be any age and... They have one of the best, I feel like, it probably changed and evolved throughout the years, but as far as the application process, it's pretty much focused solely on the writing. Um, You write like a one-page statement letter, but it's pretty open to like a wide variety of people. So um, coming in at that age, I mean, who, I'm looking here, it looks like you had eight poets and six fiction writers. And so coming into it at that young of age and like, who were your fellow classmates and like, where were they from? And like, how did that impact? I mean, maybe you as a writer, like in workshop, like to have people from all these different backgrounds or in different ages when you're that young. Well, uh, I was that young Mm -hmm. and I did not know I was that young. Okay. (laughs) Um, but I'm sure that I acted that young, Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, uh, had no, uh, inkling of, of some of the, the, most of the students, as you said, were coming from other places. So they were older, they'd been to Provincetown, they'd been through mm-hmm. other graduate programs, um, right. and had stories published in the New Yorker or other wow. places. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so, uh, it was, uh, a little bit like a lifeboat in that the teachers had a great deal of influence and they were very prominent. Robert, I studied with Robert Stone when I was there oh, wow. and John LaRoe. Um, and, uh, the, uh, so it was, it, it was intense. It was, um, <laughs> That's I feel like fun, just... <laughs> uh, it, but, uh, and, and, um, uh, Looking back, I I don't think I knew um, enough to know that I should be more intimidated. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was clueless. Yeah. You know, I was just 22 years old and clueless. I mean, mm-hmm. that that year, my best friend in college and I, uh, there were these horse stables. These brothers owned these horse stables up in the hills and for $60 you could ride like unlimited for three months. And we would go on these long horseback rides through the, the, the hills and the forests. And, um, and so that, you know, at 22, you're like social, Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, so, um, 
So yeah, yeah. I mean, I was I was still very very glad because I loved the Stanford libraries and I loved all the. Uh, I mean, I had a friend who like wallpapered her bathroom with New Yorker covers, right. <laughs> you know, it was just very immersed in literature and, mm-hmm. and literary. Um, so I love that part of it for sure. And yeah. what was the, like, what were the workshops like? Like what was, cause it, it looks like now it's a two year program. It sounds like you were there for a year. It was, mm-hmm. So what was like, and I mean, the way it's set up now of what I know about from reading the facts page online, it's, it's a once a week sort of workshop where you do, and then there's some other things like events or readings you could go to, but it sounds like it's like a workshop once a week and you're pretty free to kind of do what you want. It's not, there wasn't much structure to it. Well, uh, for, uh, the Miralee's fellowship, mm-hmm. um, there was structure from the standpoint of I was on the track to get a master's of arts okay. in, in English. Um, and so there were course requirements outside of the workshop. So uh, you were taking that, you got that as well? I did not get an MA. No, I did not. But you were the, the uh, other scholarship, the Miralee's? No, that was the, it was the Miralee's that I received. Okay. But over the years, they call it the Stegner now. Gotcha. And okay. sometimes if you look down, they'll see, they don't have Miralee's near my name. They okay. have it listed as Stegner. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was a Miralee's scholar. And so right. I got to take classes, English classes. Okay. Uh, graduate level and and that was amazing um and i still yeah so uh the workshops were i think there were maybe twice a week All maybe right. tuesdays and thursdays uh and it was uh you know you would you would people would write something and mm-hmm. and um talk about it in class and um you were expected to give notes and um yeah, it was it was good. I think the, the one of the most useful classes I had, and that was an under, undergraduate class, uh, was a short story with Nancy Packer. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we had to write precis of short stories, which is a one page um, synopsis of the sto- short story. Okay, um, and that was so valuable. Uh, to be able to take a story and take it apart and then explain it to someone. Um, that was very useful. Did you write the story first and then? No, no, no. It was like classical short stories. Um, oh, okay. So, yeah, different writers like Hemingway and Faulkner. So you took one of their short stories and condensed it down to a one-page mm-hmm. synopsis. All right. Yeah, that nice. was very useful. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, took a short story writing class with Daniel Orozco in Idaho, mm-hmm. and he had us do um, where we read um, short stories from say like Poe or Raymond Carver. And then we had to write, um, academic papers that were like 800, 850 words, something like that. But just like super tight, super compressed sort of, um, papers, which were on a specific topic, but it's kind of the same concept as that. And it did help a lot. And I also took a novel writing workshop when I was in Idaho and we, he made us do the same thing where we had to condense our novel down to like a two page synopsis. Oh, wow. Or something. So it's like that really helps a lot as far as just understanding the whole thing. And it was, it was a pain in the ass. I hated <laughs> doing it. But I think taking, you know, especially a novel, such a big idea and condensing it down that much or in a short story and trying to capture that essence and mm-hmm. get it across because it's like you have to, I feel like with the synopsis, not only tell what happens, but also kind of capture 
kind of like what the story does or what the book does at the same mm-hmm. time, which is yeah, the theme and the tone mm-hmm. and why it's important. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. that's so why why what you should ab- hire English majors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, what about like um, as far as like the teachers go? Like you said, Robert Stone, like he writes pretty gritty, intense um, mm-hmm. sort of stuff. Um, did you? Like, or your other teachers, did you learn, like, did you have, do you have anything that you, that stuck with you throughout the years from any one of those teachers that, like, as far as, like, story goes or writing goes or any, like, little mm-hmm. nuggets that you could share? Well, John LaRoe, um, who was uh, acting head of the program then, um, was an ex-Jesuit uh, and, and very skilled, very, uh, uh, a, a very, uh, adept writer. Uh, and I remember, uh, uh, I wrote a story once for workshop that was, there's a joke, um, that my dad always used to tell, uh, about this guy who's ahead. He's just ahead. He has no body. Uh Um, and, uh, anyway, the jokes, the punchline of the joke is that he, it's his birthday and, and, uh, uh, he, he, the punchline is, ah, ma, not another hat. Um, and so I took that premise and, and built, tried to build a, a story around it that right. was just made of mannered, you know, language acrobats. Mm. <laughs> just, and uh, John LaRoe, you know, it's workshop and people are trying to find things to say that could possibly salvage this thing. And, um, uh, John LaRoe, uh, talked about how, uh, the importance of language and how, you know, that there's a, a moral obligation when you're writing a story to, to speak to human truth, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, create something that's worthwhile and of value and, and to not sort of squander it, mm. um, with being arch or funny or, yeah. um, you know, and, and that was, that stuck with me. Yeah. That's um, great. Yeah. And I know, uh, Robert Stone, I was writing a short stories, uh, about this, the red brick stories, I called them, um, they're about uh, Reno and Nevada and, and stuff. And, and, uh, he, he said, you're onto something here cause you're following the money. Mm. Um, and he goes, if you always follow the money, you got a story. Uh, so that was a good thing. <laughs> what does he mean by that? Always follow, you're following the money. Uh, just the, the sort of, uh, uh, delineating the, the trail of power. Okay. Uh, through a story gotcha. and not forgetting that, that the set part of the setting is the economic setting, mm-hmm. um, you know, that it talks to class and okay. who has influence and status. Stuff gotcha. Like that. Yeah. Sweet. Um, and how about like, as far as like for when I went to grad school, I don't know. I thought it was like, it was just a cool experience to be around like poets and write. Did you mix much with the poets at all? Or how was that? Yes, I did mix a little uh, mm-hmm. with the poets, um, <laughs> and they. Uh, uh, I mean, it was it was social. I used to play tennis with poets and stuff. Right. You know, it was it was twenty two year old social stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's not uh, you know I didn't uh, we didn't 
share the depth of our expression with each other. Um, so, but were they you were all like going out to drink and having like the bars and stuff like that. And did you have like a place where everyone went after workshop or did like, was that like what kind of, or is it like people are just going off and doing their own things and. It was definitely, um, I mean, I, there would be social stuff, but mm-hmm. it wasn't hard, hard drinking. All right. Um, l- let's, let's reconvene at the, the old mill, yeah. you know, <laughs> it was, it was a, a more focused than that. All right. And what were you, so what else, as far as like your writing goes, like you said, the one story with the guy with the head and the hat, like, were there any other stories? Was there anything that you really liked that you wrote? throughout that time or anything like, did you enjoy what you were writing? Did you? I, um, no, that's an interesting question. And I'm glad you asked that Jason, because no, I didn't really enjoy what I was writing because I, I, I knew that I, on some level, I had just enough self-awareness to know that I was a callow middle-class privileged, um, child. Um, I mean, I didn't know about what it feels like when you're in a triangle and someone mm-hmm. commits suicide. I mean, I yeah. was, um, I, I was speaking beyond my experience or writing beyond my experience, uh, and, and, and knew it. So that, I think mm-hmm. that was part of why I wanted to get out in the big wide world. Yeah. Um, and then were you, I guess, so you had that awareness and your main thing was just to get out. You didn't, you didn't want to just, did you write anything that was more personal any at all at all when you were there? Like as far as no is most no um, no not really because um, I didn't have access to that and I sure didn't yeah. want to share that with anyone. Uh-huh. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, I was doing my best to look good and mm-hmm. you know keep moving. Yeah. Uh, so then, all right, so then after that, then where, where was the next place that you wanted to go or what happened? What? Well, there was a wonderful writer uh, who was a Stegner who's uh, Stephanie Vaughn, uh, a little bit older. I can't remember where she came from, but she had this wonderful story that I had clipped out of the New Yorker before I even knew that, you know, we would cross paths ever. Oh, wow. And it was called Abel Baker, Charlie Dog. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I couldn't believe that she was like there. Um, uh, and she was very, very nice. And, and, uh, she pulled me aside at one point and said, what are you going to do after this? And I was like, I don't know. I'll keep riding horses. <laughs> I think I'll get a job at the bar. Um, and she was like, you should apply to Iowa. Um, the fiction, you know, you, you apply and I'll write your reference. And, wow. um, yeah, she was super nice. And so I did. And so I got into the university of Iowa. For those who don't know, that's like the biggest, um, writing program in the country or as what I know about it. Um, it's like it's, every writer's dream to be there. Oh, and it was it was a wonderful place mm-hmm. to be. Uh, I've I loved it. I loved it because the uh, not only do they fly writers in every week, so there's a new writer. Every you know, week, damn. Yeah, well. <laughs> that's what it felt like. It's probably not every week, but it felt like every week. Uh, you know, people like Joseph Heller, mm-hmm. um, uh, and they had great teachers. And what was interesting to me coming from the the very small cohort at Stanford mm. um, at Iowa there were 50 fiction writers and 50 poets as I remember I could oh, be wrong about yeah. that but that's what I remember yeah. um, so the students were 
you know, they were the focus. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and it was, um, it was great. It was very social. Yes, we did reconvene after Mm -hmm. the workshop at the old (laughs) mill, uh, and, uh, great, great parties and, um, uh, wonderful writing. Wasn't uh, Kurt Vonnegut teaching there? Or was that? Or not that a, he, not, I believe he has, but mm-hmm. not at that not time. That time. Yeah. Who were your teachers there? Ellen Iglesias um, right. and Mark Costello, Doris Grumbach, um, Jack Leggett. Uh, who else? Uh, I'm sure I could remember more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and was that a two-year program or is that? Yes, it was two years. And that's mm-hmm. pretty, from what I know about it, I, I don't know if it's the same as when you were there, but it seems like a pretty, uh, a program that allows for writers to kind of go off and do their own thing and gives them a lot of time to write. Like, I don't think, like when I was in Idaho, we had to do 15 credits worth of literature courses. And um, the workshop seems like it's mainly, you're mainly just writing, workshopping. Is that correct or is it different? Well, when I was there, um, absolutely workshopping. Um, And I think maybe one workshop, maybe two workshops going on at one time. Um, And then also literature. Uh, the, The teachers who were in residents there would teach a literature class as well. All right. Um, so there was, uh, that aspect as well. All right. And what, um, and how about your writing there from, from the Stegner to Iowa? Did it change at all? Were you writing different types of stories? And, uh, I, I was to a certain extent in that I, um, you know, I still didn't know much more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still wasn't very much in tune with myself. Um, but there had but, to be something within the writing that was making it, something was resonating. I mean, to have people recognize this stuff, do you think it was just the prose? Like it was just the way that you wrote the way you that your description, like what was it that was connecting with these people on this level, like there had to be something there. Or I mean, even if you felt like you were writing beyond your years, you, you could have possibly been, I mean, that awareness that you're talking about as a writer, just being aware of trends and people and listening. It's like, you must've had something on, you know, something. Yeah. I think facility of language, okay. uh, uh, you know, the ability to tell a story. I mean, mm-hmm. I did have, I, uh, uh, I had material, um, and I had a drive to, uh, communicate and captivate. Uh, so I think that, that yes, it, it did work. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, as far as having a true voice, I, I know that I, I didn't have that yet Mm -hmm. because I didn't know myself well enough. Um, Yeah. And then, uh, so then, and then as far as the stories go, like what you're writing is pretty much the same sort of things or, or same sort of ideas, things where you're just taking from other people's lives and just writing stories based off that and not really just. Well, one of the things that really, uh, was wonderful at Iowa was I got to be a teaching writing fellow and a traveling artist and, um, uh, the traveling artist, I was, I was paired with a poet, uh, and, uh, we would, uh, her name was Kate and we would go out into the countryside and, uh, it was some state funded, uh, uh, 
thing where we'd go into schools and, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, teach story writing and she would teach poetry to fourth through sixth graders. And, um, and so that was an amazing experience because sometimes because it was a state funded program, they would send us to county homes or, um, you know, state facilities for the, uh, you know, uh, mental health facilities. And, and, you know, we, we, we never knew quite what we were getting into. Um, and so I came across a lot of material there. Um, the, uh, I know there was one lady at a, at a County home, um, who, uh, came up to me and, and, uh, told me that she'd been keeping a notebook for the past 15 years and had over, you know, 64,000 pages or something. Um, and then, uh, there was one little girl at a school who, uh, she was the, the star writer at the school and, and she came up and she was like 10 years old. And so the teacher says, you know, this is, this is Emily and she wants to ask you a question. Um, and Emily's like, how do you get an agent? <laughs> I don't know, little sister. <laughs> when I know you, I'll tell you. Um, you know, and and also something that that totally uh, hangs with me today was at one school, the teacher was a really good teacher, and she had all the students write creatively in notebooks, and they they got to leave the notebooks in their classroom and. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, she said these, you know, the students have been preparing these notebooks and they'd like you to take a look at them. And so I'm reading through these notebooks and this, uh, one kid has written, um, you know, Jack works at the SO station <laughs> and Sally likes Jack and Jack's like, likes Betsy and Betsy likes Mark and Mark likes Cheyenne and Cheyenne <laughs> likes Jack period. And they wrote it in pencil. Mm. And then they wrote, and everybody hates everybody, period. <laughs> totally blew me away. It's Shakespeare. <laughs> and then the teacher had written, good ideas, but next time use ink. Oh, right. Jeez. Oh. But that, that, was, uh, that hangs with me because not only does it speak to how... Um, you know, list how important it is to listen mm-hmm. uh, to writers, uh, to hear what they're saying, and not get swept up in the grammar or the spelling or yeah. anything like that. Like the expression, mm-hmm. you can always you can always sculpture down the expression, but mm-hmm. the expression is so important. Yeah, that voice, and that was such a authentic, mm-hmm. you know, compelling voice, and and so the things like that would happen that would help me get a little bit closer to saying something of worth. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And I totally agree. I mean, I I feel like that's one of the reasons why I didn't even like writing growing up as a kid, because mostly focused on the correct, like how correct are you use? This is a comma here, this, and then it eventually beats you down so much. It's just like, well, I'm doing everything wrong. Uh And it's like, like you said, it's like within that there could be some, voice or something that said that's kind of profound and i mean especially for you if it gave you an insight into i mean your own writing and letting you see like wow this kid's expressing this and maybe i could you know do something like that and get Uh my own voice out there even more and but yeah that's 
that that does suck i feel like that's happened to me and probably a, a lot of people who probably could have been writers have been even interested in pursuing it yeah and, and the teacher was was sincerely trying to get them to write you know yeah. and teachers have to attend to a million other things and deliverables yeah. that that could get into the way of of someone's voice so it's it's uh it's challenging for sure to to uh foster people's voices yeah and i wonder if like why pen? Like why? I mean, why they were? I, it was it was like either fifth grade or sixth grade. Uh, okay. So it was like when they're supposed to be transitioning to to pen. pen. Yeah. yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, <laughs> the erasable pen is what I, <laughs> they gave me. <laughs> oh uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we had to get either as like on the list, black or blue erasable yeah. pens. <laughs> and what about like then? So, so you think that, like, I think just from the, the little teaching I've done as far as the sketch or the improv, I feel like you just learn so much, like, you, about yourself. You learn probably your strengths, your weaknesses, and um, just even like watching improv so much or directing it or sketch writing, you kind of you start seeing things so more, much more clearly because <laughs> I think other people are failing at it. And then that then transitions over to your work. And then you're like, oh, now I know of all these new things to watch out for as far as acting or performing or this or, or, or writing a sketch or whatever. Yeah, I, 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 I definitely teaching is, is uh, priceless mm -hmm. uh, for sure. And the um, I think that what teaching gives me is, is the ability to be encouraging um, to, to notice flashes of, oh, that's a, that's a keeper. Mm. Um, and to, you know, put, push on that, push yeah. on that, um, you know, go where that energy is. Cause mm. that came out of the blue, you know, like what were you thinking when you were doing that, do that. Um, and which has translated for my own encouragement, mm -hmm. like, um, have faith that even though that makes no sense that write it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there's something there. Um, so, so, uh, I think that it's, it's priceless to be able to teach and it's such a, uh, uh, there's such, I know, I know that I've had teachers who, uh, uh, you know, I had a friend that says, oh, his class is 10 million ways to block, you know, <laughs> um, uh, that just, you know, people, people are fear-based and, and yeah. coming from places of fear. And, and I know that the teachers that have been the most to me have been expansive and encouraging. And so I try to be that way as well. Would that, would you say that's the most important as far as the teachers? Like, cause you've had a lot of, I mean, probably some of the best teachers out there who've been teaching it. Like, what do you think they're the main qualities of that do you think it's mostly just the encouragement just the openness to fail and not have any fear in what you're doing like what and i think the teacher you know applauding the fact that you don't know what you're doing mm -hmm. you know and encouraging you to get out there and swim yeah. um you know the the uh, uh not having not holding on to uh being an expert but saying, mm -hmm. wow, I delight in that sentence that you wrote. Yeah. Uh, you know, that being excited and enthusiastic and open and, um, you know, passing along the torch. Mm -hmm. the, those are, the, when I think of good teaching, that's that's what I think of. All right. Yeah. And were you thinking, so while you were still in Iowa, Iowa then, 
Um, so I guess I get first thing where you, so you were teaching these students and going out to all these different areas in Iowa, were you starting to have any revelations about your own writing during that time that you then transitioned into workshop or were you still throughout the whole time of Iowa? Would it, is it the same as Stegner where you kind of were still just not having your voice really there? Well, I was still, um, very focused on approval seeking and, um, uh, do you think this is good? Yeah. Um, is this work, does this work for you? Mm-hmm. Um, so very mannered and, and not, uh, not willing to do anything that might be seen as unusual or, um, offbeat or uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that Mark Costello, uh, s- always used to say, write to your greatest embarrassment. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It's awesome advice. Yeah, um, and I don't know that, that I was there yet. Yeah, it's um, hard. I mean, especially at that age to write. Because <laughs> you definitely have some at that point. Oh, but. yeah. There was plenty. <laughs> plenty I could have. Yeah. Um, were you thinking about, like, submissions at all at that point? Or talking to people about, like, the, like the girl asked you about getting an agent? Like, mm-hmm. were you at all thinking about any of that stuff? Because my head was full of that before I was even in grad school, I feel like, but I don't know. I think again, everyone's different. So what, where were you at with that? Um, I was, uh, pretty much, uh, rebellious, I guess, or, um, not only could you not teach me writing, even though I was <laughs> studying uh-huh. <laughs> it, um, you know, the degrees didn't matter. Um, mm. uh, the, uh, because uh, I, I know that, that, you know, people at Iowa, they, they worked hard to get there and, oh, yeah. and, um, that was part of their career path. And I can't say that I was pulled enough together to, mm-hmm. to think of that as like next step. Maybe I should yeah. work in publishing or maybe I should, you know, get mm-hmm. a, uh, start teaching somewhere or something. And, um, I wasn't thinking along those lines, but I know that, uh, uh, there was a, I don't think it was Joseph Heller. There was a East Coast writer. Um, and anyway, he came and gave a reading. And uh, one of the frisky fiction writers um, who was from back east uh, said, where do you live in New York City? Um, and he was like 76th or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and she said, east or west side? Um, and, uh, I remember thinking, whoa, um, you know, that's, that's, let's, let's play chess here. You know, you're definitely playing chess. Um, you know, and I'm in of the checkers mentality. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, yeah, uh, you know, there was, there was definite jockeying for, uh, position. Um, yeah. So that was kind of a turnoff for me at that time. Mm -hmm. And where, where were you, where were you at as far as, were you still, uh, fame and fortune sort of mindset or where were you at? Like I was in the mindset of someone's going to hand me this thing. Just anything or just like a book or book? Yeah. 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 It's like, uh, (laughs) after graduate school, I came home from Reno for a short time and then left and went to, to Minneapolis where some friends were and. Uh, I remember in Minneapolis, I received this very official 
very nice envelope from the New Yorker. Mm. Uh, and I thought, aha, <laughs> they must need a story. <laughs> and instead it was my dad was giving me a subscription to the New Yorker. <laughs> I mean, that was kind of the clueless mindset I yeah. had. You know, I I just, uh, I wasn't uh, thinking along those lines at that mm-hmm. time. You know, I was very much involved. Uh, my family was having difficulties as well as I was in relationships and, you know, just the whole social yeah. portion of that life. I was still very young. Were you in um, relationships within like the... Iowa writing community. Yeah. And also the Stanford and and it was a big whole hot drama. Um, that I've observed, I observed some of those (laughs) in Iowa or Idaho. I didn't get involved in any, but Oh man. So then that was, that was very smart of you. That was good. (laughs) Yeah. I was going through a break of the time. So it's like kind of a long distance thing in Chicago for a year and then Uh, detaching from that. And then, I don't know. I kind of wanted to go like I I went at 30. So that's a way different Ah. mindset. And I was like, I want to go and devote. Like I was ready to become like a monk, basically. Like it's like I was completely ready. I needed to go. I was like at the brink of disaster when I went. And (laughs) I was like, I want to go have nobody to bother. You know, I want to be completely alone. I want to have this time to get as good as I could possibly get. And I was like, I need to catch up on my reading because like, I wasn't like you. I didn't, I would, didn't have a lot of those books read or a lot of things read. I didn't have a great, I wasn't like a natural writer. I don't think. So it's like, I needed, I needed to do a lot of work. So it's like, I, I had like a clear intention uh-huh. when I went rather than, I mean, I guess like you were, so it's like, I was just fo- like laser focused on like everything. So I wasn't, none of that stuff was going to get in my way. Nice. And it probably though made me kind of seem kind of robotic and I'm sure people probably made comments or sometimes they'd be like, man, you don't even do anything. You just <laughs> sit in your place all day or whatever. But I'm like, well, it felt, I was like, it's going to feel good once I leave. Uh huh. And I'm like, I think back at it. I'm like, yeah, I, I gave that everything, every ounce of energy I could possibly give. I gave to that three years and I think it's paid off. I mean, not, I'm not, you know, I'm not getting envelopes from the New Yorker, but (laughs) I feel like slowly it's paying off and we'll hopefully it was, I think I did it the right way. So, but again, I was also 30 years old. So it's Mm -hmm. like so much different from, like I was like you, if I would got accepted to USC when I was in my twenties, I would have probably been the same way. Like I was, I just thought the hand, hand, hand to me, uh-huh. you know, lead the way. Hey, I'm here. I showed up. Uh, yeah. Where do I, where do I sign <laughs> or whatever? Yeah. Well, I know that that Iowa was wonderful from the standpoint of that it's there's really it's a tiny city, yeah. um, and the amazing bookstore Prairie Lights is an amazing bookstore, and and they had musicians that would go like to the Old Mill, and mm-hmm. and one of those musicians was Greg Brown, right. um, who uh, was was there appearing like three or four times a week, mm-hmm. uh, so it was not only was it a great place to socialize, I mean, I I went out to farms and did sheep sharings and, you know, (laughs) all these different things. And, um, it was also, um, 
very protected and very compared to Nevada, uh, very established and beautiful, um, and, uh, very different. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, it was, I I learned a lot and I got a lot of material there, but I was a callow youth when I was there. (laughs) Yes. How would you, uh, what about the landscape really quick? Like coming from, um, from Reno mm-hmm. and going to Iowa. Cause it's like, I grew up in the Midwest and like, for me, the West was like, and it, when I first came out West, it was when I was 21, I went on a road trip with my friends from to like Colorado and Utah, Nevada, California, all that stuff. Oh, and nice. it was like, it was like your mind exploded or my, you know, because I'd never seen that before. So then like coming from where you already have these huge mountains and, you know, lakes and, I mean, Tahoe there and uh-huh. rivers and everything. And then going to the farmland, how was, was that like a shock to you or did you adapt to that fairly well? It's, uh, the, the landscape never felt like home. Mm. Uh, same thing in Minneapolis as well. Right. Uh, but the, uh, I just remember being struck by the Americana aspect of it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, one of the first days I was there, uh, uh, there, you know, that, I think it's the Iowa river that runs through Iowa city. And, um, there was kids on a bridge with fishing poles on bikes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could hear the football stadium cheers, you know, the leaves are starting to fall, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's just couldn't be more Americana. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, I, I fly home and <laughs> I'm looking out the airplane window as we're coming into land. And I think, Oh my God, I live in the middle of dirt. <laughs> Um, you know, so I, I, it was a very extreme change and the winters and the, yeah. I mean, taking three or four showers a day during the summers, mm-hmm. um, the humidity. yeah, so it was, it was very different. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I liked it and I liked the people very much. Nice. So then after that, then, so after that experience, then you came back home to Reno? Yes, I did. Because once again, I did not have a game plan. Um, and so I came back home to Reno and... And what was uh, your intention there? Did you come home? Like where, why did you like... Oh, because I was going to write. I was going to write. I wasn't sure how I was going to support myself. All right. You know, so um, I hadn't thought about that detail, but Mm -hmm. of course I was called to write. Uh, But of course I couldn't write because I had no structure in my life and I had no, I didn't have someone waiting for it the way you do in workshop. Um, the, uh, uh, also my, my family was in the midst of basically falling apart. Um, and I came right back home to that in the middle of it. Um, and that didn't help my psyche very much. And, uh, so it was, uh, you know, it wasn't the, the best place for liftoff yeah. at all. Um, so, so I stayed in Reno for, and I got a job at the Sierra Arts Foundation and, and taught in the schools here, all right. uh, teaching score, story writing. And then, um, then after the, uh, then I went back to Minneapolis. I was on my way to Ireland, um, mm. cause I was good and depressed. All right. Uh, and thought I'll go to Ireland and write. Um, and, uh, luckily I stopped in Minnesota and never made it much further than that. So uh, you were literally planning on going to Ireland mm-hmm. to write, like live like a James Joyce uh, lifestyle yeah, yeah, of yeah. honor the streets of yeah. the destitute and <laughs> alcoholism and all that. And then I had a friend in Iowa who was Irish, um, in, uh, <laughs> He said to me one time, he was a big guy, 
And he used to uh, like eat grapefruit. Uh, I'd never seen anyone like eat great, like put a whole like hot ha- ha- grapefruit he'd, in like, your mouth. He'd eat it in like an apple or something? Yeah, yeah. Or would he yeah. peel it? Uh, he'd peel it and then he'd like just put it in it. He was just a big guy and he would eat these grapefruit. And so, uh, it's got to be sour too. Yeah. It, it was a, <laughs> yeah, I used to be a wrestler and stuff and, and uh, he'd been to Ireland many times and um, he was American, but he was uh, Like a professional Irish. wrestler? Uh, no, just a just college a, wrestler, right. wrestler. And uh, um, he was a poet. Um, and he said to me, you know, if you go to Ireland, you'll be beautiful there. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I want to be beautiful. Um, you know, yeah, um, and so that was my, that was about the extent of my plans for Ireland. Let's just go there and be beautiful. Um, but, but I ended up in Minnesota, which was, a wonderful place to so be. So did you, you flew to Minnesota or did you... I flew. Uh, no, what did I do? Did I drive? Yeah, I drove to Minnesota. And then um, what were you going to do with your car? Uh, I was going to sell it. All right. Um, and why did you go to Minnesota? Was it like a cheaper ticket or No, something? my or... friend Salmon okay. was there. Uh, <laughs> Sam from, uh, who's a fiction writer from Iowa. All right. Uh, and he was working for an advertising agency there. All right. Um, and I was just going to stop off and and see, and then drive to New York and sell the car. And, uh, but I was, uh, Sam and Jeff, I stayed at their apartment and the, like the second day I was there, uh, I was sleeping on their futon and, uh, in the front room and, uh, <laughs> Jeff came out and said, Sam left last night and he's not coming back. Um, wow. and they broke up. And so then I lived mm. with Jeff for a while and, uh, you know, just happenstance things. I got a, uh, a job at a theater as a box office manager. And that led to, you know, an in, uh, interesting time there. And, uh, then like I got the theater. Or yeah. At the theater. As far and, as like, was it yeah. like a, like a theater theater? It was performing? the great North American history theater. All right. Um, and they did, uh, just as they say, history plays. Right. Um, and they had a really great success with, um, a Christmas play that was based in St. Paul, hmm. um, like in the 1890s, I think it was. But every season they would have that, and that sort of kept the theater going. Right. Um, and they do summer theater up in um, uh, the northern part of the state. Hmm. So I got a job there. And then I got a job at the New French Cafe, <laughs> which was <laughs> super fun. <laughs> and that was definitely another, I guess, change as well i mean well colder i would think being in oh colder and long dark days Mm -hmm. and big old houses and everybody's mummified in their winter clothes and Hmm. yeah and how long were you living there for about nine years right yeah um the uh uh while i was there at the new french cafe i had a friend who was a comedian Mm -hmm. and she I was obsessed with Rescue 911, which yeah, was a... the TV show? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I still watch it, too, my parents oh, all the time. <laughs> great show. We're going to have to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and I would talk about it all the time. And, and What did you like about it, or what was the fascination? Just uh, Well, it was always, you know, uh, the, the fascination was... Um, that I think that goodness prevailed and mm-hmm. people were rescued. Um, right. uh, and also that, that a lot of times people call 911 when they've done something 
utterly stupid, like mm-hmm. uh, the babysitter's over and the 10-year-old decides to lick the freezer ice yeah. and gets stuck <laughs> to the freezer. Um, and I just, I, I, and just the whole, you know, William Shatner and the way they <laughs> would tell the stories, I, I was just obsessed. And she was like, you know, you got to do something with this. <laughs> just talk about it. So they were having a, uh, a pajama night, uh, sort of an open mic at a, at a theater. Mm. Uh, and so I, I had worked up this, uh, monologue that was about uh, a woman who, uh, a character, not mm. myself, yeah. uh, <laughs> who was, uh, uh, obsessed with rescue 911. And, right. uh, then I got hired to, uh, do five nights at a comedy place there, wow. um, which was great experience because I had no stage experience really. Mm. Uh, so when I bombed, I, I had nothing to, <laughs> to, uh, fall back upon. Uh, and, and, and when it, when I killed, it was, it was, yeah, I think it was luck. Mm. Um, so that was an interesting experience. And then I, uh, were you writing to, new monologues each time or you, I, I was expanding it. All right. Um, and, um, then I got to do it as a, like a one act, uh, right. at a, so at you're a just kind of like working it like a comedian works a joke or a bit and then mm-hmm. taking out things, adding things. And eventually you got it tight to where it became like a one act. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, and also that comedian, um, had, uh, said, uh, mystery science theater, which began as a cable show back there. Um, yeah. that was yeah, the local pub, access. Local and, yeah. yeah. Um, she said they're hiring for, writers, you ought to try. Um, and I did and, uh, got hired to be a home writer, which, uh, they would give you tapes of, of the, um, science fiction movies. Mm -hmm. And then you'd go home and write three jokes per minute and harvest. Mm -hmm. And they would then harvest those jokes. And how did you then, so did they allow any collaboration within that? Um, not that I not no. that I was aware of that I remember. Because like one of the things that me and my one friend like doing is watching. Not well, I, I watch. I've I've seen a lot of Mystery Science Theater three thousand and like love it. And so it's, and they have a new one out now. I don't know if it's still going, but they they launched a new one, um, which was pretty good as well. But the old I've the old ones on like Netflix, and I was watch a few years ago. I was like just binging watching oh, yeah? those like uh, i think in graduate school uh, and uh yeah they're great and i always liked being with friends and watching a bad action movie like steven seagal or van damme and just <laughs> just doing your own sort of mystery science theater uh-huh. within there so i was like it's such a fun thing to do with another person because it's like you're just working off the energy you're trying to make them laugh they're trying to make you laugh and it's like you're always trying to do the joke but it's like when you're yourself and you're doing it is that like it seems like it'd be a lot like it seems like the process would be a lot easier with two people rather than one because it's like when you're one you just i don't know yeah no that's a really good point i think it probably would have been much easier mm-hmm. um i i i know that that i would um that I struggled with just keeping, uh, straight jokes going. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would always try to, uh, work in some type of B story right. that, uh, you know, the boy is actually in love with the turtle and, and, <laughs> and, you know, complicate things that way. And, uh-huh. um, uh, so yeah, uh, I, I think it would have been easier with, you know, cause that's, I, I mean, you're 
how, how many years have we spent preparing oh, yeah. for that? Just banter back on the couch with yeah, people. Yeah, definitely. for sure. Would you um, like, so what was your process for that? Cause you get it, say you get a tape, you put in the VCR. Exactly. And um, do you watch the whole thing through or do you watch um, little, yeah. s- and then, and then you just kind of sit there and write jokes mm-hmm. every time. Mm-hmm. But then how do you know where you keep it marks like the minute? Like, is there a counter on the bottom? Like, how do you know all that? Like, if you're hitting that quota of a joke, three jokes per minute. Oh, uh, because you, you knew how long the, like, I didn't do it minute by minute by minute. But all you right. knew that it's, it's 62 minutes. There probably should be 136, 86 jokes. Okay, whatever. so you just did the math. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And it was very, very challenging. Um, yeah, I can imagine. To not be, because the humor was so, um, it wasn't hateful. It wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't hurtful. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just, you know, humor. Yeah. Um, and, and I wasn't the only person doing this. I think they had six, eight, you know, who wow. knows how many people doing it uh, to harvest. Even what they on could the be. same movie? Yep. Oh, wow. Yeah. And did you write for the characters? Because there's the... Um, cause you no, we would just write, I don't think so. I don't think so. They probably I just assign remember. it like after they go through the joke and decide uh-huh. who says what in the different, cause they had the, they had a few different ones. There's Joel, then like the crow wasn't one. Uh huh. And the little robot the guy. robot guy. Uh-huh. Um, no, I, I don't remember writing for the characters. I think right. I was just writing jokes. And did, uh, and did you watch it once all the way through? Then did you watch it? Like, how many uh, times did you write it? <laughs> or watch it, I mean. Until the jokes, jokes were, were done. done. Yeah, and just writing, you... writing. Uh, yeah. And at that time, how? <laughs> <laughs> That's why I was inventing B stories. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, let's get something else going here. Because uh, I, mm. don't, I don't see how I could possibly figure out another joke for this. <laughs> moment um <laughs> and then were you um like how did it work then so then you turned the jokes in and then when the episode aired did you watch it and like look for your jokes and like were you like how obsessed were you i'm sure about- i did but mm. I, I i don't it was just when hbo was picking them up okay uh as i remember um i think it was hbo and um and so they were in a bit of a transition too. So mm-hmm. I, I can't remember exactly where I watched it because I don't think I had HBO. <laughs> <laughs> if I remember my finances at the time. Uh, so yeah. And did you? How long did you do that for then? Oh, not very long. Like no. maybe six months at the most. And yeah. did they like? Did they just? Was that all it was for? Or like, how did it work as far as? That was all it was for, and then they just didn't call me to pick up a tape um yeah Hmm. and so and did you were you upset about that at all i should have used your technique of calling them (laughs) what are you thinking (laughs) i'm here waiting yeah i was a stegner fellow (laughs) at the university of iowa Yeah. Um, but you just kind of, yeah, were just, you pissed or were you like... I was disappointed. Just, yeah. Uh, for sure. Because, of course, I thought that was the, the glide path to mm-hmm. being rich and famous. Um, but, so you were still on that trajectory? Yeah. And, and, you know, like, this, this is it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, yeah. So th- then after, it wasn't uh, because of that, but then I did move back to California. 
after after uh, Mr. after Minnesota, All and right. it was just it was more uh, realizing that I hadn't really put down roots there. I had great friends, mm. um, but like I, I hadn't really you know I had you know done any. I I just like I had folding chairs and yeah. you know, I was, I was just always in this transition state, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. and not very directed. And, um, I know when I would go back West, um, the, uh, you know, the landscape felt familiar. Mm-hmm. My friends were, uh, you know, settling down and having kids and getting their lives going. And so I was kind of like, ah, oh, what am I doing? Were you in um, like your thirties at that time or? Oh gosh. I, oof, let's see. I think I moved back to California in 92, so I would have been 36. All right. I think, yeah. And what made, and talking a little bit about, I guess, comedy for a moment, like, did you have that in you? Like, was that in your writing when you're writing short stories? Or because it's like you had the drowning guy, the guy, I mean, the guy with the head with the oh, hat yeah. sounds like a little, like that could be comedic. But were you thinking of writing? towards comedy or humor or anything before you start doing the monologues and mystery science? Well, I think I've, I've, I enjoy seeing the humor in things. Mm -hmm. Um, I think life is pretty funny when it's not being tragic. I think there's that, you know, that very fine line. If it happens to you, it's funny. If it happens to me, it's tragic. Yeah. Um, (laughs) you know, uh, uh, so I, I, I've always, you know, looked for the funny. Hmm. Um, and I think it just comes out. Uh, I enjoy it. All right. Yeah. And was writing when you were writing the jokes for mystery science theater 3000, I know as you said, it was kind of difficult. Did you find, did you, were you like, Hey, I kind of, did you feel more at home? Like as far as the jokes go or like, like, because it's a different style of writing compared to writing a short story or writing mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. And because you, like, I guess what I'm asking is, um, how did it feel compared to writing short stories for that long and then switching front to that sort of kind of more joke writing? It was not as satisfying. It wasn't as satisfying? N- no, because, right. um, you know, a joke is, is so... Um, it's a one-off hmm. kind of, uh, so there's no real, I like the setup and I mean, jokes have setup and payoffs and everything, but, but I, I really like, um, uh, I like setting the scene and, hmm. and, and the build up and then the payoff. Yeah. Um, and in the joke, you still have that same structure, but it's very abbreviated. As All you right. know. And how did you feel about the monologue? Did you enjoy that or in that experience? <laughs> I did. I did enjoy that. I'm just thinking, uh, my mom had given me this, um, very nice velvet suit from Talbot's, um, for Christmas one year. And I had, uh, some pearls. Um, and I had uh, back, back in the day, the, the eyeglasses with the, the temple things on okay. the bottom of the lenses were really big. Um, <laughs> And that was my getup mm-hmm. for the character, uh, and there there was even in that nine one one there was uh, 
uh, it was about domestic violence. Mm. Um, even though it didn't seem like that's what it was about. It was about some lady who's obsessed with 911. And I just remember you asked me that and what came to mind was being backstage and I was in costume, Mm. uh, you know, and all the dancers are like, you know, have a leg up against the wall and, (laughs) you know, their actors are doing their chiming and stuff. And, and I remember them looking at me like, is she the representative from the foundation? Like, <laughs> who is this lady and why is she backstage? Um, so my, I, I say that because the, the, uh, you know, I wasn't professional. It was, mm. it was fish out of water a little bit. Right. Um, uh, uh, and, and it managed to make it fly. Okay. Uh, long enough. And I did, I mean, uh, that I, I could still talk to you and look forward to talking to you about rescue 911. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I, I was, I was happy to have done that. Did you watch all those like, uh, police videos and all that stuff too? Or were you not at that mm, phase? No, it was rescue 911 or nothing. <laughs> <laughs> what about unsolved mysteries? <laughs> no, <laughs> no can do. <laughs> So then where did you go back to California? Were you back in... I went back to Palo Alto. Uh, and uh, back when you could afford it, when you don't have like really anything going on, probably, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was living in a cottage on a friend's property okay. um, and uh, I working in the restaurant business and trying to write and, mm-hmm. and trying to... Uh, um, you know, uh, same thing, trying to be rich and famous with no real, um, forward momentum. And you still had that, you were still thinking that at 36 about the rich and famous is still, well, I was still thinking I could, I, the fastest way to make money, mm-hmm. um, and to settle down would be to be a television writer. Okay. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I was thinking along those lines. So yeah. were you were you writing like spec scripts or starting? I was writing spec scripts, but not very successfully. And I wasn't really pushing on it. Um, mm-hmm. I was having a lot of conversations, but not much All right. um, actual forward momentum. And you were working in a restaurant again? I was working at uh, this great place in Woodside, uh, the Richside Cafe. And uh, great characters that worked there. Uh, the job interview... The owner's wife. It was uh, the the uh, the husband was uh, the chef, and the wife was the front of the house, All right. and longtime restaurant people, and and that was the best job interview ever because I didn't get to say a word. Mm. Um, yeah, that, the, those are the best. I love oh. those. <laughs> she only Say asked me this. <laughs> one question, uh-huh. which was, "Are you crazy?" <laughs> And I was like, I don't know how to say, you know, should I say yes yeah. or should I say no, you know? So, uh, but that was a great experience. And then I went to uh, Gordon Biersch and also Zabibo in right. Palo Alto. So it was a good, uh, good time to be there. And my friend's kids were growing up. So I had the pleasure and privilege of, of being an auntie to them. And, and how long were you there for then? I was there for about eight years. Oh, wow. Yeah. And did you, and then the writing, you were rewriting that whole time? Were you mainly doing the spec strips or were you going back to short stories or were you thinking about submitting or like, where was your mind at as far as all that goes? It was, um, scattered. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the time when I really had some, um, 
self-examination and, mm-hmm. and, you know, what am I, what am I doing this for? Yeah. Am I still holding out for approval or the paycheck or recognition or status or mm-hmm. just to say that I'm a writer or, or because otherwise, if I don't say I'm a writer, I'm like a restaurant worker, um, which there's nothing wrong with being a restaurant worker. Mm-hmm. It's a noble profession if that's what you want to be. But I was a restaurant worker who wanted to be something else. Was you supposed feel to be like a writer. you were, were giving into that energy of being, were you getting frustrated at the job because you, you're, you weren't writing as much or maybe weren't? Oh, I think I still had a lot of growing up to do, even though I was, you know, aged. Um, The uh, restaurant business was a wonderful place to see a lot of characters Mm. um, and also learn a lot. Talk about a liberal education, about booze and and food and how things work and status and um, power. Mm. Um, so, So that was a good place for me to be even though it was a uh, uh, extended adolescence mm-hmm. um, it was a good place for me to grow up so and you feel like that's the point like during that time where you had that growth when you were there with with the kids and maybe that and then as well as the restaurant you think that all that well, sort of played in or not or and just... and uh, that uh, uh giving me life experience. Like Mm -hmm. I always, you know, needed experience. I always thought I needed material. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, that was, that was a lot of material in a lot of different ways. Um, and I think I've, I've still been gathering material and Mm -hmm. I think now I'm more, um, more on my side as a writer than I've ever been, um, more certain of my voice and, Mm -hmm. and what I want to say and what I don't want to say. And, um, but it's been a, a long haul mm. uh, getting there. Yeah. Um, so eventually, so then you were we moved back to Reno then after well, that. Well, um, the what was it? Oh, I uh, my friends were remodeling their house. They were tearing it down and building another one. So we uh, needed to get off the property, and and so I moved to Los Angeles. Mm. Uh, finally to, got there. I yeah. finally <laughs> got there. By God. Um, and, uh, was writing spec scripts and was, uh, a, f- a good friend was, uh, helping, um, encouraging me, mentoring me, mm-hmm. supporting me, um, a couple of good friends, uh, and they, uh, I was working in catering. Uh, catered uh, a lot of movie premieres, which was interesting. Mm-hmm. And then also working at the Disney Studios as a temp All right. um, in the animation department, wow. um, which was very interesting. And it turns out that animators, I was supposed to be the copier, mm-hmm. um, but basically they told me on the first day, don't touch anything. Don't get, right. <laughs> animators like to copy their own stuff, so right. don't be offended. Just... So as a copier, you mean Mm -hmm. you would just copy the animations, like trace them? That's what I could have done. No, like on an actual huge Xerox machine. Oh, and they didn't want you doing that. No, uh, because they they like That controlling? mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And also um, just, uh, you know, wrote and didn't write. And at that time, my parents began to enter frail old age. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of... uh, 
going back and forth between Reno while things would happen uh, with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Uh, just because they were supposed to be moving out of their house, but they were having little incidents mm-hmm. where they couldn't move out of the house, but they were like hospitalized and all this stuff. Yeah. And so, so it was that back and forth age of, of caretaking parents. And I was the youngest uh, sibling and unmarried and, and I was willing to do it because mm. uh, I love my parents and yeah. wanted to take care of them. And uh, so, but I loved LA. It was a very, very interesting place to be. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that I saw it when I was that age uh, because a lot of the mystique, um, there's still uh, a glamour about it for sure. But mm-hmm. it also, I. You know, it was so interesting at those premieres. You know, the, the caterer was the, the top flight caterer in L.A., <sighs> and people would pick up these, you know, plates of food and fill them and and put them down on tables and walk out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, never touch them. Wow. Um, so just the and that's a, a thin slice of the the other things that I would witness. So that it was. Um, a good view into the industry and also I'm not sour graping it at all. It's I would love to work there um, because there's some really great talented people and yeah. doing great things. Uh, but uh, it, it was just, you know, from being that naive Nevada kid to seeing, Oh, okay. I am at a premiere and wow, this is really So strange. do you think it like dissolved that whole illusion you had in your mind and you finally were able to let go of that? It, it helped. Mm-hmm. It helped for sure. It helped show me that it's an industry yeah, uh, for sure. And it's not, oh, creative child, come and <laughs> let me say whatever you want, you know, and I'm, it's, it's very much an industry. What um, was one of the biggest, like one of the premieres that you remember, one of the biggest that you could? There, oh, there was one, um, I don't, it was. It was something to do with a volcano. I don't think it was Joe and the volcano. I don't think it was that time, but it was something, it was some, it was either that or the, I think it was the volcano one, a volcano in LA, hmm. something. It was, I mean, it was some, it was a big picture. It yeah. wasn't like a small picture. Um, and just being outside in this amazing, you know, fake um jungle atmosphere Mm -hmm. to, um, (laughs) convey the volcano thing. Um, it, it, uh, it was just very, very interesting. Um, and, and just seeing the you know, who's with whom and who doesn't talk to, you know, and who it was, um, yeah. And how was it with your fellow caterers was it oh like, it's awesome they, they had were they like just actors right were they just a mix of all kinds of you know mm-hmm. film students all right you know yeah. uh, and actors and and dancers and comedians and wow. um and some of the best looking people on the planet uh <laughs> you know would be a line cook um yeah. you know uh, uh but they're and, all trying to make some sort of Dent, dent yeah. into this system of yeah that's very hard <laughs> yeah yeah because they're all talented mm-hmm. and they're all beautiful yeah uh and smart and funny and um yeah and and just la itself i loved the melting pot aspect mm-hmm. yeah of it and the self-expressive 
aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, or just, you know, you'd go to the grocery store and there'd be a lady, you know, pushing a little elderly lady cart mm-hmm. and she would have made a, a vest out of safety pins. Yeah. You know, it'd be like, wow, that is, you've got, that is cool. <laughs> um, uh, so it was, you know, and the weather, just everything, mm-hmm. you know, I wasn't bothered by the traffic and I was living with a really great person Where'd you on her property up, um, on Coldwater Canyon, um, okay. in a, in a, uh, pool house, which is wow, really, a, I know it sounds wonderful and it was wonderful. I was uh-huh. like so happy. Um, it was uh, a little room, uh, but I, uh, my, the woman who lived there was great, awesome woman who'd been a writer, who'd been a director, um, and was totally over it. Yeah. Um, just completely just, just checked out. Well, she, or, she just like had seen through it and, yeah. and was doing ph- philanthropy and, oh, wow. um, other things with her time, mm-hmm. um, uh, looking to do something meaningful. Um, she'd had breast cancer and, and was a survivor and, um, and put together this great book called Turning Heads because when she was in cancer treatment, she'd lost all her hair. Mm. Um, and that was such a stigma, um, oh, that, yeah. that she got all these fashion, uh, photo photographers to, uh, film or shoot women with, uh, who'd lost their hair, mm. uh, to, gl- to show that it's, it's not horrifying. It's, wow. it's, it's glamorous uh, mm-hmm. and it looks really cool. And, um, so she was involved with projects like that. All right. Um, and was, you know, I was like, are you still a member of the guild? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, so man. I still had some growing up to do. Yeah. So. And then, so then eventually you eventually left. How long were you there for? I don't know if I, oh, if I asked you that or not. Probably about nine months or a year, maybe All a little right. longer. Um, okay. And it just got, you know, my parents were becoming more and more, mm-hmm. um, it was becoming more and more problematic for them to be left by themselves. Yeah. Uh, even though my siblings and I were setting up things that they would, quickly fire everyone. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. it was kind of at that stage. Um, and yeah, so I, so I wasn't like, Oh, I'm going back to Reno mm-hmm. and moving. It was like, okay. Uh, you know, I will, I've paid the rent and so I'll be back. Uh-huh. Um, you know, fully intending to be back and then just not going back. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm, I'm, you know, it was a very, very valuable time to be with my folks. It was a golden mm-hmm. time and, uh, they both passed on and I was glad I was there. It took a long time. Yeah. Um, uh, and, uh, but I got, a, uh, uh, I was grateful to have the time with them. So. And then you eventually got a career out in Reno, right? Like, did you feel, did you feel like you were intentionally putting it off like as far as like a career a career um, or like a full-time like a full-time job or were you working full-time like through um no i came back to reno and i was oh god i had the worst jobs i mm-hmm. uh was working as i thought you know i just need pocket money just yeah. so i can keep my hand in um and uh, i got a job delivering newspapers <laughs> which was the scariest 
job. And was it, it was, like in the morning? It was hours? in the like two a.m. Yeah. to six a.m. Uh, <laughs> God forbid if you deliver a paper at six fifteen, um, and people were, you know, they were they were there were wonderful people on their route, and then there were people like. You did not double fold. You did mm. not use two rubber bands on my paper. Wow. And yeah. I've asked you to do, use that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, uh, there were also people who would, there's one, I had the 4th Street run going right. west. Wow. Nice. And, and uh, not this area, but just across the river. All right. <laughs> um, so, it was, you know, it could be a good area and a sketchy area, uh, too. And I've never been more scared mm-hmm. um, and also delighted, too, because there was trailer park on 4th Street and um, these people left out these tomatoes, these early girl tomatoes All for right. me. And they left a note that said, these are our early girl tomatoes for our early girl. <laughs> Just super sweet. Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> um, and then I was like totally scared uh, a couple times. Um, yeah, it's sketchy, still sketchy stuff. out there oh. on 4th Street. I one time was driving my motorcycle and I, I, I had to turn around and I turned into like a... Uh, like a, a parking lot ended up being, but it was like fenced in and it was full of like just homeless people. And, and it felt like I kind of, it's like turned into like a walking dead scene. And it's like <laughs> the motorcycle was so loud, they all recognized me. And I felt like they're like coming towards me. And I was like, I flew out of there. <laughs> but, yeah. But for those who don't know, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting part of town. So I had that job, and then I also oh. got a job in, in accounting at a large uh, uh, gaming all right. Thing that was, oh my God. How'd you get an accounting job if you. Oh, because I, I had, when I worked in the restaurant back in Minneapolis, I was an account. I, I did the you books. You did the books, yeah. all right. Uh, which came in handy. Uh, and, I, <laughs> and so, you know, I was doing these jobs that had nothing to do with what I really wanted to do. And, and what did you want to do at that point? I wanted to get my parents out of their house into a assisted living and go back to LA. Oh, you wanted to go yeah. back? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. But uh, it was just, it, there was like one thing after another with my folks, mm-hmm. um, and it just wasn't happening. So I needed to make some money. And then I, uh, it was after my dad died, and I had been volunteering for a nonprofit and kept crossing paths with the American Lung Association guy. I was working in tobacco, and and he said, uh, how much are you getting paid for that gig? And I said, I'm not getting paid for this gig. And he said... <laughs> You should apply for at. You can get paid doing the same thing at mm. for us and and or doing something similar and and so that sort of started off my career in in public health in right. tobacco. Yeah. And were you in at that point? Were you still like where were you with the writing during all this time? Like, because I mean that's a lot going on with your parents and the different jobs and. Well, my primary purpose had changed for sure Mm -hmm. in that it was my dad had just died and, and, and then my mom was, was in assisted living and, uh, you know, uh, it was more how long will she live and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, let's, let's, let's take care of business here. Um, and I'm, I'm glad I did, but I needed a job. I needed to work and, and, uh. Uh, it was a wonderful American Lung Association. It's a wonderful place to work, and they gave me so much education. So, and you were there. You you just left there for a new. Um, I was there, there ten years. Ten years. Yeah, ten years, and then I went to the American Heart Association, 
which was another super wonderful mm-hmm. place to work, doing good work. And then I went to the state, and now I'm going to Washoe County. So, nice. Yeah. And how enduring all this, and like, were you like with the writer mentality? Were you fine? Like once you went into that sort of field, did you feel like this is kind of what I want to do? Like, oh, it felt super worthwhile. Mm -hmm. And I was, it was very consuming. I was traveling, uh, throughout Nevada, Northern Nevada, uh, doing, you know, tobacco education fairs at schools. Mm -hmm. It was very much like being a traveling artist. Um, uh, but only I was talking about tobacco prevention. Um, and, uh, so it was very absorbing and great material. And, um, uh, still in my mind, I was, I've always kept journals, always been writing snippets, you know, I kept notebooks. Um, but, uh, as far as realistically thinking, you know, my break is coming. Mm-hmm. No, it was more like, um, let's, let's put food on the table and, Make sure that uh, you know my mom's taken care of, and yeah, yeah. And so. then, but did you have like was it in your mind like a nagging feeling like you need to do writing or you just? It was pretty far away. Was... I mean, I, I mean, I, I was I've always read and and mm-hmm. with the notebooks and stuff, but as far as uh, being able to focus and produce something, I just didn't have the bandwidth yeah. um, to do it or the the yeah the the drive to do it and where are you at would you say now with the writing or well i've you know thanks to uh you know i i started improv to sort of jump start my creativity yeah i should say that uh, so yeah when did you start that then that was back in 2011 all right and that was with it was empire improv yeah actually it might have been in 2010 i think i started performing in 2011 um, yes, with Empire Improv, Michael Lewis, um, and it was, uh, very, and, uh, Ben Craig, uh, very, uh, fun, learned a lot, um, and, uh, then, uh, and, uh, it did jumpstart my creativity, so then mm-hmm. I began to push a little harder on the writing and just write more, um, not really showing it to people, but just trying to produce stuff. Mm-hmm. And how did you like the performing aspect of it? Because it was very freeing because it wasn't, you know, I wasn't producing this block of verbiage. Mm -hmm. It was maybe a a line, maybe a, maybe a look. Um, and then it was never, never to come again. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it went (laughs) off in the ether and who knows where it is. So it was very freeing, mm-hmm. very freeing. Um, and I liked it. And what did, like, what did you like about it specifically? And how did you feel? Do you feel like you were prepared for it at all? Or mm, I was, um, I think I was a better team player, um, right. than I would have been in the past. Mm-hmm. I would have been elbowing people, I think, to get out of the way so I could yeah. have my moment, um, <laughs> uh, rather than being supportive, mm-hmm. um, and being a team player. Uh, and, and it's also very surprising and you walk away, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like anybody's yeah. going to workshop it. I mean, you get notes, but, but it's, it truly is. Did you hit it over the net? Oh, well next time maybe you will. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it was good. So then, so then now, and also now like you live when with, um, 
an editor or someone who yeah, runs let, a workshop? I, yeah, uh, I, uh, a friend of mine, a uh, longtime friend, uh, we were looking to cut down on expenses and he is, stays at home. He works from home. He's an editor uh, for a magazine and, and he, uh, yeah, so uh, he, he conducts workshops in the house and I've taken a few and that's helped me build my confidence back up and I've been sending stuff off and applying for fellowships and, and pushing harder on the writing. So you're back into it and <laughs> back into it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Back into it. Yeah. And as far as like, um, what was I going to say? As far as, um, your writing now, like compared to where it, it came from, like when Stegner and Iowa, and then you went through all this, all the different jobs and all the different experiences and um, as far as work and as far as writing. And so where is your, I, I guess, like, what are you writing about now? And what sort of things are ideas or concepts are you interested in? Well, I'm still interested in uh, funny stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the funny part of being human mm-hmm. um, and still writing about relationships right. uh, and moments in people's lives. Uh, but it's, you know, I'm, I say this with gratitude. Uh, I feel seasoned now. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel a lot deeper now. Um, I feel things and, and can express them better. Um, it's not, uh, I'm not borrowing melodrama from somewhere. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I'm just, uh, you know, trying to say what I see, um, and, uh, be sincere about it. Nice. So, yeah. yeah, that's all good stuff as far, uh, as, far as I know. <laughs> hard to do, hard to get there a lot of times for people, but it sounds like you're at the place that you want to be and. So where do you want to go? Like, do you have any expectations for the writing? Or are you just kind of just letting it happen? Or where are you at as far as that goes? Because I know as writers, um, well, all of us, a lot of people in my program, I feel like we're obsessed with publishing or whatever. And the teachers would always be like, you, could, you got your whole life to publish or blah, you know, try to get your mind. I think they said that to get your mind off of that idea of publishing and trying to even get involved in that now and just focusing on the work in front of you. But I mean, you've had, you've been through like some of the most probably intense workshops you could be in and you've had the experiences and it sounds like you found your voice throughout the entire journey. So it's like, are you, do you have expectations of what you'd like to achieve as a writer? Do you have like a novel expectation or a book of short stories or anything like that where, you have like a goal where you're like, I'd like to eventually maybe get that out there. Oh, uh, I would like to continue to produce. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, whether that, uh, I know that, I, that, that I would, uh, something that interests me is, is writing about Reno, um, mm-hmm. back in the day, uh, there, I've, that interests me. And, uh, also there's, uh, I would I would like to write something about Reno, mm-hmm. um, uh, whether that's a, a novel or something shorter. But uh, and then also continue to uh, write the short story collection that I never quite finished. Uh, right. uh, 
and and whether that you know I I do get now um, that it's uh, it doesn't have the same charge mm-hmm. uh, of uh, I would like to to share you know mm-hmm. communicate it and and see if it can, somebody finds it interesting or useful and you know would it be publishing or or something but it's um, I I want to keep expressing myself first and foremost, um, and not so much, uh, uh, you know, have a deliverable. Um, but I, I, the discipline of having a deliverable is, is very useful. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, I get, I mean, that's before we started the show, I was telling you about like how many episodes it's like, I don't know, maybe one a month to start two a month. It's like, I just don't want to put that much of a heavy expectation. But I think like you said, just just producing, just keeping that your main focus, um, I think allows you to stay, you know, present with what you're doing and focused on that rather than getting lost in the what ifs of Mm -hmm. life, I guess. Have you written any like narrative, like nonfiction or essays or anything like that? No, 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 not really. Would you do your Reno stories based off that or would they be based off fiction? Or They'd be a composite. A composite. Yeah, for sure. The, uh, you know, having the experience of, of doing the show, the sketch comedy show at mm-hmm. Reno Improv Theater was fantastic. And mm-hmm. I would definitely do that again. Um, that's been a big uh, energizer and yeah. uh, collaborating with people and working with people. That's that's uh, a great thing. So I would definitely do that again. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. Well, let me think. And what about just, um, so like looking back, I guess, on your life and the writing and is there anything like you, are you satisfied with it all? Are you happy with the path you've oh. taken? I know it's a hard question to ask. You yeah, know, just <laughs> sum it up. Yeah. Could be a, um, yeah. Uh, you know, cause I don't like I, uh, the only reason I ask is just cause I, I don't know. It's such a. I've went back and forth so much and it's only been 15 years that I've been doing it, but I think that it requires a lot of sacrifice on as far as personal sacrifice. Um, and also maybe people you're with, I mean, relationship sacrifice, family and friends don't really get it a lot of times. And it's like, I don't know, it takes a lot and it's like, and you've, like I said in the beginning, it's like, you've been doing it for so long, long before I was even born. Uh-huh. So it's like, it's a long haul and it's like with writing, it's like you're in it for the long haul. If you really want to become a writer or call yourself that or so, I don't like, how are your thoughts on all that and where it all? Well, I think that that is a really big question. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think it's, uh, for me, the, the question that's, uh, uh, is ongoing in answering, uh, what is the purpose of my life? Mm -hmm. Uh, what gives it value? What gives it meaning? Uh, I know a lot of my friends, you know, they work hard to put their kids through school or, uh, or they work hard on their relationships and that's where they find meaning. And, um, for me, writing's always been like, uh, I don't know, my best friend. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, I mean, if I were a watchmaker and felt that way, I would, I would have to be making watches and, Mm. um, I, I want to continue on, you know, I want to, 
I don't think that I was arbitrarily like I, I could I be a crackpot? Yes, I could be a crackpot. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I hope I'm the last to know it, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. from the standpoint of I feel drawn to do this. I feel happiest when I do it. Yeah. Um, it's uh, I'm not hurting people doing it. Um, I uh, it gives me something and makes me feel like like I understand things. And I also feel at this point in my life, it's very, I feel close to spirit or uh, the greater purpose in the world. I feel like a a force for good uh, when I'm doing it. And I um, don't think those are crackpot feelings. And Mm. if they are, just don't tell me, (laughs) Um, you know, because it feels good and it's worthwhile. And and I think I, uh, you know, have something to say. And I know that, Growing up in a big family, you know, getting people to listen uh, was always a challenge. Um, And uh, I feel like uh, I've earned my right to say what I want to say. And the only person who can take that right from me is me. So I'm not going to take that from myself as long as I feel like I have something to say. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's great. Well, it's good to hear that because... (laughs) I think I think I'm finally coming to those conclusions as well. I mean, similar conclusions, not exactly my my own, but it's like it it's definitely seems like it's been a struggle at times um, pursuing that sort of work and so many questions and um, thinking of it like that is a good perspective to have and a good way of looking at things. And it's good to know because it's like I still got a long time uh-huh. to go. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Got to keep making it interesting somehow. And 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 you know, say you wanted to skateboard, uh-huh. like <laughs> like skateboard. Yeah, you know, push it as mm-hmm. far as you can push it until you don't want to skateboard anymore, and yeah. then you want to do something else. Yeah. But it, it, you know, I think not being able to find something that lights my fire is is mm-hmm. a worse place to be than yeah. being obsessed with. Uh, a quirky little story I'm working on. Yeah, you know? definitely. So. All right. Well, I think that does a bit just, uh, no, nah, I'm mumbling towards the end, but uh, <laughs> I think that just about does it. Um, well, thank you for your time. And um, if anyone's in the Reno area, Lisa went through the sketch comedy writing program at Reno Improv and she teaches over there with me, not with me, but she teaches classes there so if you ever wanted to take a class from her email reno improv (laughs) and see when she's teaching next but yeah it's been it's been great talking to you thank you Um, so much jason yeah it's a it's a pretty amazing journey that you've been on and i think that i don't know it's just fascinating to me as far as like you know from the writer's perspective and Uh getting into those institutions at such a young age and it's just interesting just hearing it all and uh yeah you've done a lot and uh look forward to seeing your work in the new yorker (laughs) (laughs) well thank you so much for the opportunity to share and uh your kind listening and and your great questions i really appreciate it cool thanks all right well thanks a lot and thank you all for listening and have a good night